Reading from the third chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the seventh verse. This is John the Baptist speaking. He said, He said, therefore, to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits that befit repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than is appointed to you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Rob no one by violence or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all men questioned their hearts concerning John, whether perhaps he were the Christ, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the thong of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. A reading from the fourth chapter of the epistle to the Philippians, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there was this newspaper reporter in Anderson, South Carolina, who decided one day that maybe he could go out and drum up some interesting stories just by cruising the neighborhoods. So he was on his second tour through one neighborhood when suddenly he heard a loud scream and a growling dog and he ran around the corner to see what was happening and he saw a little boy and there was a big dog that had hold of the little boy and was just shaking him. And then he looked across the street and saw a teenager run across the road, grab the dog and throw the dog off the little boy. And in the process, the teenager, so strong and so full of, full of, of adrenaline, had snapped the dog's neck and killed the dog and saved the little boy from the dog. 
And he couldn't believe it. He said, it's the story of a lifetime. And he ran up and checked on the little boy to see if he was okay and called the ambulance. And the little boy was bleeding, but he was okay. And the newspaper was just overcome with happiness. And the newspaper reporter, and he asked the older boy, he said, why'd you do that? And he said, because he needed help. And he said, oh, I'm writing a story about this. So he wrote a big headline on his legal pad. Clemson fan saves boy from rabid dog. And the little boy said, the teenager said, I'm not a Clemson fan, sir. And he said, Gamecock fan saves little boy from rabid dog. And the teenager said, sir, my, my daddy went to Georgia. We're Georgia fans. And he wrote, redneck kills family pet. <laughs> Circumstances circumstances are where our happiness is sometimes rooted, right? This guy, he was elated by the story at first, but then when he realized that he was a Georgia fan, he didn't even want to write it. His elation was curbed by a change of circumstance. His joy was taken by a change of circumstance. How many of you know that your circumstances are going to change? Sometimes when you have Robbie said, man, here I am, bro. <laughs> we got two Robbies right in a line with each other. Boy, I lost that train of thought. <laughs> How many of you know your circumstances? It's gonna change. Have you ever had one of those streaks where you've been on two weeks and nothing bad has happened and everything you've heard has been good news and you feel like you're just waiting for the hammer to fall? <laughs> it's part of human life, isn't it? And these people that John the Baptist were preaching to, they were waiting on a hammer to fall, but it was a good hammer. They were waiting on Messiah to come. And there was expectation, the story says, that Messiah was going to come and drop the hammer on the Romans and set them free. But then John the Baptist came into the wilderness and preaching about forgiveness and repentance. And they're like, what? We're the people of God. We don't need to repent. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to come? And then after hearing the good news, they wondered, what should we do? And John had tied to forgiveness, forgiveness to repentance, which as, as we know is a response to what God has done and not a work that merits forgiveness but allows us to receive the forgiveness that God wants us to have. Circumstances were changing in Judea. And the circumstance was rising for a time of joy. But some of them didn't want it. And some of them didn't understand how to have that joy. And he told them, be content. Do the things you do for good. Do them in good ways. Likewise, Paul answers the story, what should we do? He answers that same question when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. What should be our response to what Christ has done? What should be our response to the baby in the manger? What should be our response to God coming and sharing our weakness? Perhaps joy is the most appropriate response. And Paul can tell us, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He can say it till he's blue in the face. But the truth is, we can't be commanded to experience joy, can we? It just comes. 
And unlike happiness, joy isn't dictated by circumstance. Joy happens in relationship with other people. I'll give you an example. Most of you are aware that I am not a Gamecock fan. I used to pull for the Gamecocks when I was young, then I became an architect in Columbia, and they broke me of that. But as I told my friend Don Horn, ministry has taught me how to love Gamecocks again. Which is good. Y'all can laugh at that. That's funny. And what I've discovered is that it's easier to pull for them. But I'll tell you something that happened to me that was really kind of neat. Um, Ike Jeffcoat, one of my former parishioners. Ike's one of those guys that you just love the day you meet him. He said, we're all going to go to the Carolina football, the baseball game. We want you to go with us. I said, ooh. I said, I'll go. Do I have to pull for him? He said, oh, no, you can just come. Well, as I sat there with all these people from my church that I loved, I found myself pulling for the Gamecocks, which was a new thing for me. And all of a sudden, it came down to just the last moments of the game. And it was, we're not sure who's going to win, but everybody's just in a, whoo, you could feel the tension. Now, it wasn't bothering me, but everybody else there was in tension. And a kid hit a ball that for a moment looked like it was going to clear the wall and be the end of the game, and the Gamecocks were going to lose. It looked for all the world like that thing was going to make it out of the park. But at the last second, it fell. It started coming down, and you know everybody was then wondering, is it going to catch it? Is it going to be an infield double, and two people, one person's going to score, and the game's going to be over? And that ball came down to the loneliest person on the face of the earth for that 10 seconds, an outfielder. And he caught the ball. And y'all know what happened? It sounded like a volcano went off. Screaming beyond imagination. Yelling and jumping. One of the most pure moments of joy I've ever witnessed. Rejoicing beyond measure. Kind of like that time David Treadwell kicked that field goal and beat George in the last second with my freshman year at Clemson. And we all went nuts. But you know what happened to me as I was sitting in that baseball stadium with my parishioners from church and we were all yelling. I was, I was happy too, you know, it was a big deal. And I wondered, why don't we experience that much joy over what Christ has done for us? You know what I mean? Why don't we experience that much joy over what Christ has done for us? All that kid did was catch a ball. It didn't improve anybody's life. It didn't change anybody's life. Nobody's sins were forgiven for it. Nobody moved from death to life. The world wasn't changed. History wasn't changed. A kid caught a ball. And everybody went nuts. Jesus hangs on a cross and dies and is raised. And people are afraid to say amen in church. Afraid to have joy in the open. People are afraid to let other people see their faith. Why is that? Maybe we should listen to John the Baptist. What should we do? What should we do, John? How should we respond? Maybe the way we should respond is be happy once in a while about it. To let the joy sink in. To let it get hold of us and just be glad for what God has done for us. It shouldn't take Christmas morning 
to bring joy into the heart of the people of God. Right? It just shouldn't. And I realize I'm guilty of that myself, you know? Sometimes I like to shout when I'm preaching, but I don't shout nearly as loudly as I do at them tigers on that football screen, on the TV screen. I wonder about that. How could I become more in touch with the joy of knowing Christ? Maybe for me, the challenge of John the Baptist and what should I do is to let myself be more free with my joy. To let myself celebrate Christ more and be happy more about what God has done for me and for you. So I hear Paul's words and he says, Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Again I say rejoice. And I realize he's right. He's just right. Our days should be filled with joy. And here's the thing. The joy that was available to us doesn't depend on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on our sports team winning or getting a Christmas bonus from work. Our joy as the people of God depends on the fact that Jesus Christ is always with us. Paul said, rejoice, rejoice, the Lord is near. All the reason we need to have joy is that in Jesus, God came near to us to know our weaknesses and to be our strength. How could we get more in touch with our joy? John said we should share what we have with others, give away our extra clothes, our extra food, and we would find contentment. And Paul, Paul tells us to be gentle. Let your gentleness be known to other people because in that way you enter into relationship with people because, dear ones, here's the secret. Here's the secret. This is what will steal your joy. Isolation. Being separated from God and separated from other people. Isolating yourself from the good news of Christ steals the joy out of life. It's in isolation that we're most tempted to sin. It's in isolation that we're most tempted not to forgive. It's in our isolation that we're most tempted not to share. It's in our isolation that we're most tempted to think that everything in the world is about us. And that steals our joy. So Paul says, be gentle to everyone. Let everyone know your gentleness. Don't be anxious, but carry all of your needs to God. Carry them to someone who will hear you. Be in relationship with God. Remember that He's your Father, the one who cares for you and loves you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And then he says to let the peace of God fill our minds and our hearts. Let the peace of God settle in us. And to think on things that are good, on things that are pure, on things that show us God's love for us. To think on the goodness we see of people sharing themselves and other things, sharing their stuff with those who hurt. To think on the graciousness and the excellence of God. 
to fill our minds with those things. The more we give of ourselves to others, the more we share of ourselves with others, the less isolated we become. And the more likely it is that we will know joy. I can promise you if that outfielder, I wish I could remember his name, had caught that ball in that park and nobody had been there, it wouldn't have been a big deal, right? It was the presence of a community. A presence of a people who were bound in love for their university and for that sports team. A presence of community allowed joy to happen. And community is what God has given us in Jesus Christ. Made us one with each other and one with Him. And the more we give ourselves to that, the more we give ourselves to our mission of making disciples, the more we give ourselves to learning about Jesus and loving Jesus, the more joy will be the mark of our life instead of isolation. What we have before us and rejoice, rejoice is an invitation to a new kind of life. A life that's marked by loving God and loving others instead of just loving ourselves. What should we do? They asked John. What should we do? Paul seems to be telling us to give ourselves over to loving each other and to loving God. So that our lives might be filled not with isolation and sadness, but with joy. No matter what the circumstances we face. True joy is not the circumstances of our life, but the one we serve with our life. True joy comes because the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. True joy comes as we follow Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.